Hello again, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. It definitely seems like I've been able to have the opportunity to get quite a few out over the past week, but there's quite a few things in my backlog, and leading in from the end of the old year into the new, there was definitely more than enough things for me to talk about leading into not only shows, but anime as well. With not only anime, but with a couple of new shows coming out as well during the Christmas season. So with that much of a backlog, there was definitely more than enough for me to talk about leading in towards a way for me to at least get a couple new episodes out, considering that most of December didn't really get as much as I wanted to do. There were a lot of things uh, lining up in the middle, a lot of obstacles in between work, in between family, and for the rest of it. So I'm definitely glad to see at this point I was able to at least get a better modicum of output leading into the rest of it, but that's beside the point for the rest of it. But that's beside the point. At least now, with the frequency of the episodes that I've been putting out, there hasn't really been a lot of opportunity for me or the news cycle to catch up and give us anything new lined up for the rest of it. But considering that this is going to be uh, my second episode beginning to the new year, since I wasn't able to get to talk about a couple of things that I'm actually excited about leading into 2023, I might as well get a couple of those off the bat and see if there's and kind of see what's in store for us leading up for the rest of the year. So, at least for films, like everybody else in the world, every, we're waiting on the worldwide release of Makoto Shinkai's new film, Suzume. That's going to be lining up in international theaters worldwide. I don't know when the international film festival debut of the film is going to be. If I would have to guess, it would either be at the end of January to the early beginning of February, but at least for regular theater releases, it's going to be debuting worldwide in April, so that's something to look forward to. At some point in the summer, Miyazaki and crew at Ghibli are going to be releasing what is possibly going to be his final film until he comes out of retirement again. Literally the only thing that is going to stop this man from making any new films is literally death coming to his door, but... All of us at that point are hoping that that happens long, long into the future. So How Do You Live is going to be popping up at some point in the summer, and then for me, the film that I'm most excited for leading into the new year is going to be the Gridman universe film, combining both the characters and the unique Gridman leading into both of Dinozenon and leading in through both SSSS Gridmans and Dinozenon. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to be able to tie these two worlds in together, how much they're actually going to be able to accomplish with a new threat, and I'm considering how not necessarily diverse the character cast is. I'm really curious to see how they're actually going to be able to meld and interact between the two different groups and even then the two different gridmen and the two different mechas that are going to be able to have the opportunity to grace the screen with each other on at the same time so how exactly they're going to combine how the rest of the group is going to mesh and get along only time will tell but i would imagine considering that it's trigger i'm going to have a blast of a time regardless and so if there were any shows in particular that are leading into the new year, stuff that I'm kind of looking forward to, but it seems like the luster has worn off. I really hope it proves me wrong, but considering that Birdie Wing is getting its second season coming into the spring of 2023, they're going into the regular real-world golf tournament doubles setup, which... I would imagine they're going to, like, throw some balls-to-the-wall crazy golf action in the midst of it to at least try to make it exciting and entertaining, but considering that the underground world mafia, at least, premise and setup is behind us, I would imagine that they're not going to be too happy when they realize this girl is not only alive, but she's performing on the world tour. So I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of, you know, regular high school team doubles matches leading in for most of the show, but I'm really hoping that the underscoring Mafia plot is going to be able to rear its ugly head and make this that much more exciting and surprising. Now, considering how much I love Kaguya-sama, Love is War, even though the manga is nearing its end and we're only getting bits and pieces of epilogue for the rest of it, what I'm more curious about is what Oshinoko is going to be bringing to the table because I have heard nothing but good things about this new manga that's going to be getting an anime adaptation, I believe, in the summer of this year. And considering that it's written by Aya Akasaka, who... Er, never mind, <laughs> that's a character, never mind. Just the mangaka, who is Aka. Aka is phenomenal when it comes to character writing, not only introducing real-world drama into the majority of his stories, but 
also letting comedy reign supreme. But considering that comedy was the majority of the work that he did back with Kaguya-sama, it definitely seems that this work in particular focuses less on the comedy and more of the real-life implications of basically every single kind of media production, not necessarily by the production side on like the details and the aesthetics and like how it actually gets done, but more of the darker side of actors, actresses, idols, voice actors, media work, production staff, music, film, just all of the horrible underbellies leading into the rest of this, considering that I will admit I read the first chapter when this dropped, but the premise was so ludicrous and out there that I thought that Akka was just being ridiculous just for its own sake because I was more expecting this to be like a crazy off-the-wall sort of comedy like Kaguya was going to be but with less romance and more like slice-of-life IRL stuff with the ridiculous premise being thrown in but now with the things that I've heard over the past couple of years during its runtime that it's more a focus on the dark sides of the majority of media production inside the modern age and now that I think about it, not only in IRL stuff, but also with with VTubers, with virtual idols, with everything revolving around the internet and how social media makes everything that much more marketable, but that much more hellish whenever you have to deal with a large amount of people, there's, there is a lot of things that can be explored inside of the show. So I'm really excited to see what kind of punches it's going to be throwing in the midst of this. And not necessarily how dark, but how serious in tone a story like this can shine on the real world as an example. And so I guess not... I, I guess I'm the most excited for this next show, though, in particular, considering that it's from a manga that I really enjoy. It's weird considering that it definitely sets out in batches. It definitely seems like it is a volume-based uh, manga series that I only... where it's like I still get... Uh, how many, I would say? Like six to seven chapters every six to eight months or so? which is totally fine considering that I really enjoy everything that's going on, but Insomniac's After School is going to be one of the not necessarily most joyous and heart... Well, actually, no. It is going to be, it's going to be heartwarming. There's going to be some underlying pieces of conflict that are going to be coming out later, but essentially the slice of life, the camaraderie, the friendship, and the budding romance of the main cast and crew that you get inside of this show is definitely one of the more charming casts that I've seen inside of any of the manga that I'm reading currently. And considering how well... It's not the same studio, but how Yofukashi no Uta, or Call of the Night, was able to make the World of the Night seem, I'm really curious to see how creative they're going to be with this production, where the majority of the stuff, because a lot of it is on astronomy... Uh, astronomy, astrology, I really need to I need to remember which is which, where it's like this is your Toro sign and this is the legitimate research and selegation of constellations and actual stars. I, I just at this point, I'm completely blanking on which is which but at some point in time I'm really curious to see how they're going to be able to translate that world of the night where there's barely any natural light to be found to get some of the best um, photos and shots that you'll be able to with the amount of tools and the amount of time that you're getting. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to be translated into animation, but only time will tell. But at this point in time, it is definitely going to be our most anticipated show leading into the new year. Now, at least for the next season, or at least this season, for now, there's a couple of things that are going to be on my radar and a couple of things that I'm just, that I've already like watched an episode of and I'm just going to leave by the wayside. Um, coming in February, at least, we're going to be getting the fifth and final season of Gretz of Retsuko. So I didn't like the fourth season that much. The first three definitely like built up on the charm, and I really enjoyed to see where the characters exactly were going to go. But they kind of took one step forward and two steps back with the fourth season in particular, going too ridiculous in some cases and not ridiculous enough in the other. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to end and conclude it, because I'm already this far in. And, you know, you always, you don't wish for the downfall of something. Just because it had a slip-up and you don't necessarily, like, want it to be just forgotten and left into the annals of history, I would say Aggressive Earthco does have a lot of good comedy and a lot of good charm left in its characters. I'm just hoping that, for the majority of them, there is going to be a satisfying enough conclusion for the rest of them to at least go on with their happy but mundane, metal-filled lives. 
And so, like I said before, I'm definitely excited for the Gridman universe. So that's going to be debuting in Japan uh, March 24th. So we'll probably... Because Gridman... Well, although Trigger is definitely more in tune for trying to be more connected with a worldwide audience. So if there was ever going to be a studio that tries to get their products out into the international distribution as quickly as possible, Trigger is definitely like one of the top studios to do that and make it a priority. So it'll definitely pop up in the summer. If I had to guess which month we'll probably see it, I would say July might be too early. I'm just going to say like in the middle of the summer, July or August is probably where I'm going to be getting an international release for that. So I can't wait at least on that. Um, One movie that I have no expectations leaning into it. It just really focuses on the saxophone and I'm really curious to see how well those musical scenes are going to be translated onto the animated medium, considering that Blue Giant is a manga that is being adapted into an animated film, and it's about a high school dude who's good at basketball, who has a part-time job, and he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, and then he finds and picks up a saxophone. And apparently he is a fucking legend when he essentially goes to town and rips whatever kind of notes whenever he pulls out a new session. So I'm really, it's I'm, it's not that I'm curious, but I'm not really excited. I'm, I'm, I want to see what's going to happen, and I'll probably see a good clip of his saxophone playing at some point in either February or March, but only time will tell. We'll just have to wait and see. Like I said before, I dropped Irusei Yatsura and To Your Eternity, but those two are going to be bleeding off of the fall season of last year. The two ones that I am going to be keeping up with uh, that have been coming on from last season are going to be Blue Lock and My Hero's sixth season. I'm really curious to see how this is going to translate, considering that the vast majority of the time, people are very iffy about the second arc that always is the, not the runoff, but just the falling action of the majority of My Hero's stories, and it's always the second arc that normally stumbles. But I do believe that this is one of the only follow-up arcs that actually manages to keep the pace and tone of the previous arc, and so I'm really curious to see what people are going to be thinking and how they're going to react to Deku's change-up. Uh, and finally, for the shows that are leading into uh, the ones that I'm not going to watch, the fucking... You know, dude in his 30s gets transformed into a younger version, and so now he's younger than his younger sister, and, you know, comedy slash sexual harassment ensues. I don't fucking know. I'm just going to leave that as is. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. Inspector's getting a second season, don't care. Dungeon, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? Second core of its fourth season, don't care. I watched the first episode of uh, Tomochan as a Girl, and the only major thing I was curious about is that Tomochan was an interesting quote-unquote manga, more like a four-coma uh, paneling sort of deal, because they uploaded, I think, like one page a day for more than three years. So it was a page-a-day comedy series, comedy romance, where it's like, oh, yeah, haha, the, it, like, that's the main you know, premise where it's just the girl who's a tomboy who is in not necessarily manly, but she's really boyish. It's just that the main dude is a fucking dunce, and so that's the joke is that he's never going to see her as a girl, so even though she's romantically interested in him, he's only interested in her as a friend, so really... So, I don't, I don't know. It's It was fine. It was a nice thing to read every one or two days. So it was like a nice little surprise that you would pop up, especially considering how Misuzu and Carol and like the rest of the supporting cast react to the bullshit that happens at the center of these two, but it was interesting to see how they translated 30 to 35 uh, four-coma strips into an episode and it resulted in something that was pretty pretty boring so it's not really going to be something that i'm going to be looking at too much honestly if you wanted to do the entire story of this four coma manga then you could probably do it in 26 episodes like there's no it's going to get through a good chunk of it so i'm kind of curious to see how misuzu and carol interact because it's basically those two that butt heads the most uh, most frequently, and it's always a joy to see the two of them, but uh, I don't know, the main duo just never really does it for me, and like the majority of shows inside of its genre, it's mostly just going to be the side characters that carry the show, so I don't know. I'll drop it for now, but I'm hoping some people will at least find a little bit of enjoyment out of this show. Both 30 is getting a second season, and I've heard good things about it, but I didn't watch the first season, so I'm just going to let that, or leave that as is. I, 
A1 Pictures is doing the Near Automata anime. I don't... I don't know. It's all of the stories and all the th and all the videos and the essays that I've seen, because I have not played a single Nier game, none of the Nier games inside of the franchise, but I've looked up and at least researched the most on Nier Automata. I don't think it's going to be enough to get me invested and interested to actually go and watch this anime, but I'll see what the general consensus is and how that rolls around throughout the rest of the season, and if it really captures... Because, I mean, we're living in an age where, like, video game adaptations are just, like, phenomenal, top tier. So I'm curious to see how that's going to be translating to the rest of it, and only time will tell to see how everybody responds and if it's able to live up to the legacy that the game has been able to build over the course of its time. Bungo Stray Dogs is getting a fourth season, same deal. I know a lot of people like it, but I haven't seen a single episode of it, so I'll just leave that as is. Tokyo Revengers is going to be getting a second season, which I know is huge in China and Japan. It is a ridiculously massive franchise, which is just completely beyond me. I have no idea how this is the one that's easily one of the most popular and biggest shonens currently being adapted, but I don't know. I'll, yeah, I'll just let it go. I don't necessarily have anything to say about it, so I'll just leave it as is. Nakatoro is getting a sec her second season as well. It's where it is... It's, it's weird. I didn't decide to watch the anime, but that's mostly because I, I'm unfortunately, for better or worse, caught up with the manga. And what it's doing now, now that we're legitimately getting into some actual connection and some progress between the rest of them and legitimately acknowledging it with, I mean, besides the sus stuff in general, it's like seeing those two interact now that they know what their goals are and now that they're actually driven to being better people for the other person inside their relationship it's that that's the kind of thing those are the kinds of things you like to see inside of a romance series so the fact that they're finally past the bullshit like this is the trope and we're going to redo this trope consistently over and over and over again until the joke gets old thankfully they're past that and they're trying to legitimately get progression done throughout the rest of the cast so still not going to watch the second season but i'm going to be kicking up the manga and see how that goes so the two shows that I'm actually going to be watching that are going to be coming out of this season, I mean, besides Agretzico, but that's going to be popping up in February. Uh, so Trigun, Stampede. I am really curious to see how Studio Orange is going to be adapting this because it's not... They're not going to be fully going off the source material. They're not going to go off of Rampage. They're not going to go off of the original... Not, not quote-unquote original anime, like the first anime that came out back in the 90s, but a pseudo-remake, but also retelling of a lot of events. And I'm really curious, and kind of... Because at least it gives us a new spin on Trigun, because I still love all the characters involved. But what I'm really curious to see is how Studio Orange's aesthetic is going to be matching with what uh, the show is going to be like contrasted against. How that ends up going, I still have full trust inside of Orange because they have not let me down yet, and I'm really curious to see how they're going to be leading in with this new kind of setting and these kinds of characters to bring it into a modern day. And so I'm still really excited for when that comes out in probably a day or two. And the final thing, <laughs> the final on my list of two things that I'm going to be watching leading into the next season is going to be the first core of Vinland Saga Season 2. It was Vinland Saga's first season definitely had its ups and downs, but mainly because we were focusing half on who was supposed to be the main character in terms of Thorfinn, but then when you realize who the actual main character is of these first of the first 24 episodes and the fact that it was Askeladd, that was that made it a much more enjoyable experience when you focus on him and his drive and his goals and what exactly he wanted to accomplish in his tenure in the first season. And now that we're going to be shifting the focus onto Thorfinn for the second season and how he's going to be evolving as a character, leading in with how the rest of the world treats him, I am really curious to see how the rest of it goes. This was one definitely one of the hardest shows. I, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was back in 2019 or 2020 when the first season came out, but it was a very, very tough choice to just not immediately drop everything and go read the manga afterwards because I'd heard nothing but good things about it. Um, thankfully, I'm going to be having the opportunity to go through and have another 24 episodes 
Of this, I'm really curious to see what they're going to be able to accomplish in these next 24, but considering that Vinland is going to be nearing a total of 50 episodes, that means we're going to be coming pretty close to what is supposed to be the conclusion of the story, and it is still a phenomenal medieval wartime setting that you don't necessarily get a lot in anime, or even though you know, there have been a couple of things that have been popping up in, um, in both film and television, but regardless... It was easily one of the best shows to come out of that year, and I'm really hoping for the same kind of quality as it's going to be 24 episodes leading in through both the winter and the spring season of this year. Now, leading into what I guess was supposed to be the mainstay of this episode, considering that I just recently finished it, and I, I, I'm going to count it as the last show that I watched for 2022, even though the, like, the last five episodes I ended up watching inside of 2023. I'm just going to leave that as is. Because um, this show, Cross Game, is a very interesting but long-standing piece on my backlog. Considering that Cross Game, when I ended up getting into and like making an account on Mal back in early 2014, Cross Game was one of the top 50 shows um, on Mal. Except, you know, as eight years have gone by since then, I believe it's been pushed back to like... Uh, 181. Sorry, never mind. So it's definitely been, like, moved on since it came out in 2009, but it still holds the test of time. It's considering that now, instead of being in the top 100, it's in the top 200, it still has more than enough opportunity to not only be a good sports drama, but also, like, a good budding romance story for the rest. And how, and the new ideas that it springs on like some work out well some not so well by the end of the show i was definitely satisfied towards the rest of it considering that it was building up to a lot of what the main goal of the story is about considering that the general consensus is that there is a focus on baseball it is a baseball sports show and essentially it all focuses on wakaba's dream for both her younger sister and for her childhood partner, couple, like, romantic sort of thing uh, with Ko. But essentially, like, that was it. She dreams of them inside the Koshien, which is the biggest natural uh, national stage for uh, Japanese high school baseball. And so he's the pitcher, Akaishi's the catcher, Aoba's there, and they're all at the Koshien. And so it's that dream in particular that is the catalyst for where everybody wants to go and what essentially is the drive and the dream of the majority of the people that take place inside of the show. So that's probably all I'm going to say before I get into major, major spoilers. And by that, I mean, I'm just going to talk about the entire show. So when I ended up, what was this? This was probably back in late November when Bonsai Pop ended up putting out a episode for Cross Game. And I will admit, I share their sentiment completely. So, without spoiling anything, the first episode of the anime covers the entire first volume of the manga, which is ridiculously abnormal pacing. And that's mostly because they shaved down the first episode to be a strong hook and tries to get everybody into the show and they're curious about it, and to get them curious about it. But... I definitely am thankful that I ended up going with Bonsai Pop's recommendation, considering that it is a good first episode, but it really just expects you to blitz through and uh, like love and enjoy all of these characters just right off the get-go, which, considering that they're all kids, uh, is very difficult to do in the rest of it. So, And what the manga is able to do is that through that entire first volume, they're able to set up the stage, the pacing much considering they have a lot more time set up the main relationships with all of the major characters involved so that when the first volume ends you're actually able to jump off at a much more natural pace leading into the rest of it and leading into what is essentially a time skip so i'm really glad to see that that's the recommendation i got so before leading into it i'll say that this show wholeheartedly gets a recommendation from me i would definitely say if you are a fan of either baseball anime, not necessarily, I wouldn't recommend this on its romance in particular. Romance definitely does play a major role for some of the characters inside of this show, but it's definitely not the forefront. It's more 
the relationships on how the majority of the main characters interact and how they try and find their purpose and their drive, uh, depending on the events, especially with, you know, uh, as every sports anime does, it's like those with talent, those with hard work, those with high drives, those with low drives. It's it, it still, like all good sports shows, has a really good dichotomy and a really good idea to how to separate the rest of those characters and how essentially they interact with those around them who are in different positions as they are. So that then again, there you go. That's all I'll say for now. I would definitely give this a recommendation and go watch it at your leisure. So I guess jumping into it immediately, um, I, d I definitely do enjoy reading... Like I said before, I did enjoy reading the first volume over watching the first episode of Vannery because they really, considering Wakaba's death and how sudden it is, just completely and utterly like rushes you along. Because it's either, I can't remember if it's episode two or episode three, they immediately rush past the time as they were all kids and they immediately like fast forward to high school. And so they're immediately thrust into the end of middle school, leading into high school, just completely out of nowhere. And so what is that? That's like a five-year time skip or so, just completely out of nowhere. And the how the and what they do instead is that instead of so the manga at least is able to go through, settle up all the stuff back in their childhood in the first volume, and then naturally transition into what the set between middle school and high school was. The anime basically covers all the like basically the start and the finish of the volume and then the interspersed pieces of the first volume into the later 12 episodes just to at least have the opportunity to fit those pieces of character development and motivation in there as to not miss it and leave it out entirely but it you you really get like rushed through for the rest of it and it kind of does give you tonal whiplash for the rest of it where it's just a lot of i almost every single review i saw where it's just like oh yeah no the the first episode is so sad and it's a really good hook it's like well unfortunately yes considering that the death of who is supposed to be like the main set and the main romance and like the love interest immediately off the bat definitely is a little bit of a whiplash especially when they just then intersect her out for like the rest of the show but Wakaba is definitely, for somebody who was, quote-unquote, like, alive for only an episode, like, not even a full episode, probably only half, her influence and her support and her kindness and her love and her empathy for, like, everybody involved and everybody around her while she was alive is just palpable. She was the glue that held everybody together, and you see her influence on the vast majority of people inside of this show, and... It's definitely not a knock against her, considering who ends up coming in later, but no, it, for the time that she was there, Wakaba definitely was a phenomenal, like, setup and catalyst towards how the rest of the characters, like, line up and change. I'm trying to, since we basically get, like, those arcs, we get the lead-up to uh, the first year, and then we get the setup of the second years with... Alba ends up ending up coming into high school because she's a year behind Ko, and then we finally get the last arc, which is leading into their final year of high school, where they try to make the Koshian for one last time, considering, like, every other sports anime out there, it's the third years, it's their last year to do anything major and have any accomplishments lining up in high school, this is your last chance, do it for the seniors, and it's just, okay, we understand, but thankfully they don't really focus too much on that, since it's less of a sports drama or a romance drama and it's more of just a character drama which is definitely what i appreciate because all the, the majority of the characters inside of the show can easily stand on their own for the rest of it and how they're able to not only influ possibly influence the rest of them but at least give the same kind of kindness that wako was able to uh, lead in for the rest of it so i'm trying to figure out who i would want to talk about first considering that i guess i'll get the rest of the uh tsukishima families out of the way considering that I really do enjoy every single one of the sisters in this. Like, Wakaba is no exception. Even with the limited time that she's on screen, that's definitely... She's able to hold more of her own and still be memorable in that same vein. Uh, Seiji, Ichio, who is the matriarch of the family, considering that their mother uh, like died a couple of years back, 
Um, she definitely makes up for a lot of the stuff, not only nurturing the girls, but being able to not only set up their caretaker, but still have more than enough agency to help everybody move around and say, know what the others are thinking, say what the others need to hear, and considering that everybody is out for her heart, I'm definitely glad that the one person that ends up doing it is more than enough of a stand-up guy, even though it'll... He definitely seems to be like a walking trope, and you've seen him more than enough times, but I don't know, I'll get to him in a moment. But I still enjoyed the both of them entirely. And so not only is... And so Alba, who makes up the main... Like, I say heroine, but she's... It's definitely not the term that should be used around here. Alba, I really did enjoy, considering that she is very... Like, you can't even call her a sundere, because she's always hot. She's never... She is rarely, rarely ever cold. She is a hot-blooded tomboy, and she never chills the fuck out, ever. Which is honestly one of her more charming traits, but still. Like, she never gives a... She doesn't give a fuck about anything except baseball. She loves baseball. But then it's just... She can deflect negativity, she can inspire others, and even in the times where she's being used as, you know, fertilizer by Daimon in for the rest of it, the fact that she's able, considering that it is a time where the mangaka ended up writing this story where it's just women can't play baseball in Japan. Even though Japan loves baseball, there's no major way for women to go and make a living off of it besides going into the World Cup and becoming a part of the international women's team. So there's not a lot of opportunities, but considering how much Alba loves baseball and how much she's been keeping at it, because her father used to be, um, I believe, a catcher? Yeah, he was a catcher. And taught her to throw, taught her to catch. And so her form and her ability and her natural talent to at least go through and learn the game on itself without having any other outlet besides her dad in a batting cage is definitely like one of the major reasons why Ko is able to become such a great pitcher in the first place. And how she's able to not only improve everybody else on the team that she helps manage, it's she's just a phenomenal female lead inside of a already large cast of like great female characters. And one of which including is Momiji, who is just a little shit disturber in, in the rest of it. She's the fourth and youngest daughter of the family. And so she's around the same age as Wakaba when she ends up dying after the time skip. And so she's just this rambunctious shit disturber of a 10-year-old that's consistently at odds with the rest of it. And so not only does she have a good head on her shoulders, but she consistently sets the tone for not only a lot of the comedy when she is involved, but she's also like a huge piece of inspiration for not only Ko and Alba, but for the rest of the crew that end up just involving themselves with her, considering that she is just a phenomenal little sister character in a myriad of shows that would just look to abuse that aspect of her, but it's like, no, she just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and she's always great to hang around. So the one... If there... Oh God, if... He's easily the worst character in the show, bar none. He is... Like, there's no reason, if he was not in this show... Not a single thing would change. He is only there for conflict, and it's definitely there for something that I would imagine the mangaka still enjoys as a trope, which is uh, Mizuki. And so Mizuki, he's the cousin of the Tsukishimas, and he is head over heels in love with Alba. So I'm glad that they at least gave him one trait that is not being in love, not having this creepy obsession with Alba, and that's because he's a mountain climber, and that's the reason why he's been away for most of his time. But it's it's like, great, okay, he's a mountain climber. He spends the rest of his time either fawning over Alba, being an entire creep. Alba just never walks around the house without a shirt on anymore, because she legitimately can't stand his gaze. And he there's nothing. He is only introduced for quote-unquote relationship drama between Alba and Ko just to at least involve a catalyst to being like, oh yeah, no, well, if you don't do something, then Alba is going to like be taken away by some guy and just like, Ko just, he doesn't vocally say anything, but he actually is just, just ticked off not only by his inclusion in the story, but just his entire being in general because he just doesn't he doesn't know a lot about Alba, even though he's her cousin. He just literally 
only is infatuated with her for no particular reason, and he's only there to just be a, a shit disturber, and a really bad shit disturber at that, because every single time he speaks, it's either like, I'm gonna be an annoying little shit that is going to try and steal Alba away from the entire family, or he just actively hates Ko and baseball. And it's like, why the fuck are you here? Because another one of the characters tries to get romantically involved with Alba later, and it is natural, and it definitely makes sense, and that is a much bigger conflict and a much bigger obstacle for them to overcome. So the fact that Misuki is even in this show at all is just a major annoyance, and considering that it's annoying, kind of annoying that he wouldn't even matter if he wasn't here, but the fact that he's also here and even tries to cause as much chaos as possible, it's, oh my god, he's, he's just way too annoying. And it's just it's so completely pointless. But uh, let's actually get back to some decent characters. I mean, I guess it's been all this time and I haven't really talked about the main guy. Uh, Ko. He is very static. That's that's essentially what his personality is. He's, he's a very static character. The only major things that change about him is mostly him getting into baseball and pitching. And he's a good liar. That's kind of how he goes through. He's very stoic not in the common sense he just doesn't really let anything get under his skin and he doesn't really have anything besides a stale face and a smiling face and i really did enjoy him in in the beginning considering that when it was actually focusing on him for the rest of it and dealing with alba's more like not hot and cold but just hot and annoying in nature because she legitimately hates ko for being there for most of Wakaba's life because Wakaba, he was born on the same day in the same hospital as Wakaba. And so they were just fated and destined to be not only childhood friends, but then they were also a couple when they were like young kids and then they were going to grow up and then they were going to marry each other. And Alba resented the amount of time that he took away uh, from Wakaba. But not necessarily the amount of time he took from her, but the amount of time that Alba was able to spend with Wakaba, because the majority of the time when she was not at her own house, she was out with Ko. And so when Ko legitimately... The only time I legitimately see Ko get angry is either A, ripping up the lovey-dovey poster that Mizuki and Alba, like, were... that was posted on the outside of school. And outside of that moment, it's basically where the same thing is happening with... Momiji where it is where it was with Wakaba where she's angry that a lot of the time that Momiji's around she wants to spend it with Ko and she doesn't get it she doesn't get why all these people enjoy Ko when he's just a he's a liar he's just a boy who gets by and gets handed everything and so she just really doesn't essentially enjoy that especially when not only is the same thing happening to Momiji than it was with Wakaba that she is like okay Momiji fine I don't like you. In fact, I hate you. You should just go die. That is the one major time I remember Ko getting that angry to the point where all he does is walk up, grab her by the wrist, and stare her dead in the eyes. Where it's just, she does this routine so often that it just becomes second nature. But the fact that she would even jokingly and passively, it's like, oh, Momiji, you should go die after she's already lost her own sister. Like, Ko just immediately puts the wall down in front of her and it's just no without saying a word he can you can just hear him shout shouting in his own head where it's just don't you ever say that again because he still loved wakaba just as much as his sister as these sisters did and so i was really glad to see like that kind of moment of him not really coming out of his shell but coming out of his passive demeanor to shut that down at the seams and just not letting her, and making her recognize how horrible and cruel just passively saying that is, especially to her own family. So easily like one of my favorite moments of him in the beginning and how he's able to, because he still has that kind of relationship with Alba in the sense that he knows how she treats him, what the normal routine is, but he still goes to her for help. He still goes for her for experience and routine and trying to figure out how to make himself be a better pitcher because he recognizes Alba's talent and drive and work ethic and he really respects her more than we see anybody else in the show really does. And so it's the only awkward thing about this romance inside of the show is that you see it go back and forth so frequently, especially with the introduction of another character at a later date, that you really 
don't feel any conflict because you see at the beginning of the season where it's just the only person that Alba is ever going to fall in love with are people that can throw in 160 kilometer an hour fastball, or in this case, in 100 mile an hour fastball. You know as Ko is training himself in secret to be a better pitcher because he couldn't stand losing that one sandlot game when they were kids, you know that the end game is going to be he's going to throw the 100 mile an hour heat, you know that they're going to not necessarily confess, but you know that they're essentially going to get together by the end of it, but I really do like to see the unique wrenches that they throw into this, you know, you, I, I call it a love story, but the love is never really put in focus. It's more just had, it more just has obstacles and conflict thrown into it where you believe that it's an inevitability, but you don't really, you can't really accept it yet. You, re you don't really know how it's going to happen because they've been treating each other the same way over the course of their entire lives, but uh, who knows. But I want to bring in, even though Ko is static, I do enjoy the majority of the time on that he's on screen, and I do appreciate him as a main character. The best boy is easily Akaishi. So Akaishi is the catcher, and he was the one who is also another childhood friend of Wakaba and Ko as well, who they did have their differences, and they did end up having a bit of conflict, but they resolved it on the pitch. And Akaishi, he looks like the stereotypical bully right off the bat, but the, the man's got a heart of gold. He's just such a good, good boy. And you really appreciate how, as a catcher, he's able to not only plan ahead, but keep the situation under control and rationally lead into a plan that not only gets Ko onto the baseball team, but has the opportunity to throw a wrench into what is essentially going to be a plan to try and consolidate their local high school into being like one of the best high school teams in the nation, considering that if you got a good high school baseball team, then you get a lot of notoriety and you get a lot of funding depending on how far you make it inside the Koshian and the round robin tournament that leads into it. Or sorry, not round robin, uh, the brackets uh, that lead into it. So seeing how they're able to go through and what he's able to do and stay composed in the midst of all the chaos and the turmoil, he's just such a great guy that just deserves the world considering how he's able to go through. Because he's, he's still... So he's a good guy, more to his own detriment, especially when another new girl comes into the fray, in the sense that the one line that kind of just exemplifies his character the most, considering that he knew that Wakaba like, loved Ko more than anybody else, and he had a crush on Wakaba, but what he ends up pointing out towards Ko towards the end of the series is just that it doesn't necessarily matter. I was always the happiest when Wakaba was smiling, and she was always smiling when she was closest to you. And it's like, oh, come on. That's such a good line. This, this fucking guy. Oh, you just want to wish him all the happy, happiness in the world. I don't really have a lot to say about uh, Nakanishi, who basically ironed out the rest of the middle school team to get to then lead it into high school with his seniors, because he wasn't... I believe the one big thing that happened in the beginning of the series was that he was the one who was ironing out the baseball team in middle school, because if he knew that if Ko went into that kind of baseball environment, he would immediately lose love for the sport. And he was like, okay, all of you... We're going to high school next year, and if any of you fuckers just try and put a negative spin or just try to trash the team from the inside, I'm coming for you. And so it's he doesn't really change a lot through the rest of it. He does do a good job between playing first and third base. And unfortunately, towards the end of the series, he's kind of like just the middleman, and then it's very consistent where it's like, okay, so what am I going to be doing? It's like, you're going to be losing three kilos, or in this case, you're going to be losing seven pounds by the end of the summer, considering that you need to be able to move a lot of quicker. And it's like, come on, man, don't do my man dirty like that. But at least the rest of the cast still does a good job for the rest of it. I mean, a really good formidable antagonist for the first arc of the show would definitely be going to Daimon, considering that he is the new renowned high school baseball coach that's been brought in by the interim uh, principal. And so he's won the Koshien twice. And so the principal basically not really strong-darned him, but baited him with not only a large sum, but he's also going to be like building in funds to raise a new national level baseball team inside of this one. And he's able to coach and scout for the rest of it. 
And that's, you know, what a coach normally does. But then he treats it, he basically treats anybody who doesn't have the opportunity or doesn't have anybody inside of his list like garbage. He essentially just not abuses, but completely shuts down nearly anybody who at least wants to have the opportunity to go through the rest of the team. And he's using that just because that's the problem. He's still a good coach with good scouting abilities, but he never, he has gotten way too full of himself and his pride consistently weighs him down, which bites him in the ass consistently in the show, which is always satisfying to see. But who he ends up bringing, who is another phenomenal addition to the cast, is Azuma. And Azuma, I really did enjoy, it's not that, it's not that he made a transition, it's just that he was raised inside of this toxic baseball system and scouted by this one toxic coach on top of the fact that his reason for joining baseball was not for his own but for more of a reason to just live his brother's dream in place of him not through any kind of negativity or backstabbing but it's just that he felt like he was the cause of his brother's injury that ended up taking him away from the sport of baseball as a whole and so he put that weight and that anxiety and that stress upon himself because he felt that that was the only way to atone from taking away his brother's baseball career and so after seeing the fact that he because he's kind of sus in the way that he consistently wears out alba in their first meeting when she use when he uses her as batting practice but the way that he's able to turn around and come back to the point where it's like oh yeah no he's He's still got friends. He still appreciates the people, especially Miki, who was one of his closer friends inside the rest of it. And so after Miki gets dropped from the team, considering that he backtalks Daimon, he's like, okay, fuck you. He's one of the only people that deserve respect on this team. And if he's gone, then I'm not even going to be playing in this quote-unquote important game that they tried to do. Because it was a really satisfying bid to see Ko pitch his first game in between and a, and a coach in between and against Daimon's, like, quote-unquote, nationally hand-picked, scouted high school baseball team, and then he just runs train through the entire set. <laughs> it was it was definitely satisfying to see how the rest of that was going to go, and considering that takes the entire first year off of their bat, it was I was definitely glad to see how the rest of that goes on. And Azuma being the legitimate threat towards, like, Alba going towards anybody, because he is, he's serious about Alba, considering he, she's the only girl that he knows that is not only a phenomenal baseball player, but is, he can only respect her, like, through her drive, through how well she's able to pitch and go for the coach, and it's just like, you are literally the second best pitcher here, and only because Ko is just a once-in-a-generation talent. You can easily go up to term with the majority of male pitchers inside this country and you definitely deserve to be on the women's team which in this case is like the women's world cup team and so like seeing him considering that he does get kind of close he kind of gets closer to alba after breaking her leg from a foul ball but um like seeing him in that same vein going through and making Sure, like she tells him, you don't have to repent for not only my injury, considering I wasn't using a net, but you also don't have to repent for your brother's injury as well, because all he wants you to do is have fun. Junpei is honestly phenomenal. Like, Junpei is a really good older brother, because he was the one that ended up losing his career because of the accident that happened with Asma, but... He's, he's a guy that just runs a small produce distributor, and he's easily, like, one of the happiest characters inside of the show. And even though, like, his major... He's only... He only wants two things. He only wants his brother to have fun playing baseball, and he also wants to marry Ichio. Which, to be fair, it's... I'm glad that half the time... It's, it's kind of like half and half. Half the time, he's, like, the overly spitting head over heels, oh my god, please marry me. And the other half, it's just... He legitimately is making good conversation and good connections with not only Alba, but Momiji and the rest of the family as well, considering that she finally realizes how, you know, good of a man he is and leading into essentially the good amount of times that she ends up having with him. It's like, okay, well then, um, if Seisho makes it to the Koshian, I'll marry you. And, and, and it's definitely like her way of playing with him because she's still smitten with him and she's in love with him and she wants to marry him as well. But that's her way of still helping out the rest of the crew just as Alba does. And it's like, okay, so we have a former Koshian high school star baseball player as the batting coach, considering that 
The other batting coach is the head coach who's been the mainstay of Seishin, who got to the semifinals before. He's, so he's never gotten to the Koshian before, but he's a good man and a good older father figure. His granddaughter is, you know, easily like one of the better girls of the show and how well she's able to bring the team together and keep everybody on their toes and on their regimens and on their schedules. So I really do enjoy her. Like, she's phenomenal. And then I guess the other major girl that brings in this, this was, it was a weird, uh, it was a, yeah, it was an off-putting kind of sort of way in the beginning when Akane was introduced. Because it, it, it's, it's so weird, especially with the, like, death of a childhood friend trope that I've seen before in romance stories, but the fact that Akane, down to her, looks down to her personality, down to her dialect, down to her way of thinking, is so... She's basically the reincarnated ghost of Wakaba. Not literally, but figuratively in the sense that there are only so many doppelgangers left in the world, and the fact that one of the only other ones also lived in Japan and also lived close enough to the point where they were going to move right next door to Ko's place was kind of like, okay, this is really weird to start and you understand why it's there but for such an odd character to be introduced this late into the game in the same deal to give Ko another romantic not necessarily rival but another romantic option where you just see it it just seems like it's so perfect it's too perfectly placed too she's too perfect she's too kind she's too empathetic and like Ko says yeah, she looks like her. She looks too much like her. And so he just can't get over that piece because Ko and Alba both have the same idea about Wakaba in the sense that it's it's weird and interesting to see Akane be here, that she would almost be a perfect match for who Wakaba would have been like had she turned 15. But then they both think it's just like... No, our idea of a, of Wakaba is basically just an 11-year-old girl who ended up dying in the middle of the summer. Like, their mental image of Wakaba will always and consistently stay that 11-year-old version of her. And so that was kind of something that not only did I enjoy seeing, like, recognizing that even though it was a miracle for her to be there in the first place, but that but the fact that still everybody else just accepts it, where it's Ko looks after her, Alba becomes a really good friend of Akane. Like, I'm really glad to see that Alba was... Essentially, she recognizes how weird the entire scenario is, but she's still... It's just, it's not Akane's fault. She's a good person. She's, like, well... She's well enough, like, settled for the rest of the crew. And yes, she really does look a lot like Wakaba, but she is her own person. She's lived her own life, and she's still more than enough of a decent human being, <laughs> which is kind of, like, underselling her a bit. But yeah, I really do appreciate Akane's introduction into the show. And so it definitely seemed like a really, really weird trope to already throw into a chaotic romance, but it still really worked. And that is honestly just the best gift that anybody could have given Akaishi, because, like, at the end of the day, we know that Ko and Alba were getting together as the series was running down, but the fact that at the end of the day, Akaishi, after all of his trials and tribulations and all of his kindness and all the generosity that he's given to literally everybody inside of the show except himself at the end of the day he is the one that everybody pushes towards Akane and he definitely deserves her and they are going to be a phenomenal couple like long after the show is over and so I guess we'll finish off with my thoughts on the ending of the series it's as a sports show Going through the last arc of the Koshian qualifiers, it was a phenomenal bracket-style, like, not tournament, I, I guess you could call it a tournament arc, and it's up there for sure, because a lot of the games really go down to the wire, and there are still a lot of surprises, there's a lot of shakeups, and there's a lot of straight drives that you know is going to happen, but you're also kind of glad to see that they were able to make it through on their own. And in the end, everybody is able to leave everything out on the pitch, and it's still a phenomenal time. I really enjoyed everything that the finale and the tournament arc brought into this final arc of the show. And I would say the only... I, I don't know what to think about it. I, I, it's, it fits. It fits the characters, especially. Um, I definitely... and <laughs> I, I kind of feel sad for Ozma, where it's just... The more he 
falls in love with Alba, and the more he keeps talking about her, the, considering he's been living with Ko for over two years at this point, it's just, he keeps looking at the two of them and not only thinking, wow, these two are alike, but also how the fuck are these two, like, not getting along, and how are they not, like, together yet? Because it's just, God, you were so similar. And sure, similar people repel for most of the time, but at the end of the day, it's just... Even he was, like, getting so sick of this shit where it's like, how the fuck? You're you're both so stubborn, even though you're so perfect for each other, just fucking go. And, the, like, the fact that at the end of the day, like, at, even after they win the Koshin qualifier, even though they were able to achieve their goal and get to the Koshin, which we still never see at the end of the show, which is still totally fine because that was never the point in the first place. It was just the drive. But the fact that the last thing he says and the, and the last time that he is basically in the same scene with Alba and it's just kind of like... Ko just exhausted, slumped up against the wall. It's like, oh my fucking God, can I die yet? And it's like, no, you are not allowed to die until you go out and you bring Alba into your arms and then you can go die. <laughs> and it's just, oh man, this, he, he's so fucking over it. And it's like, okay, you, you are going to thank her. Like, and it's the same deal with, and it was, that's actually, it was a pretty good uh, dichotomy now that I think about it, because it was Junpei, Azuma's older brother, who was telling um, Alba towards the end of the game where it's like regardless of this outcome of the game you are going to go down and you are going to thank Ko. You are going to go down and still at least congratulate him on a good well played game because after what everybody in this game has gone through they deserve some sort of appreciation and some sort of praise because there is no way that you are not going to say anything to this guy after this game and, and then Azuma down on the ground floor being like alright you better go out there and bring her into your arms and hold her tight because if you don't I will and that is a fucking promise <laughs> it's, and so actually seeing that it was weird, especially, like, the way the camera starts, like, rotating in the buildup of Ko embracing Alba. Like, the first time either of them have an intimate moment with anybody inside of the entire show, it was definitely a weird buildup because that's how the manga panel went through, where it was, like, the manga panel was basically him slowly trotting over and just almost falling underneath all of the weight of the stress and the exhaustion of the game and so he just it goes from his perspective tilting back and forth and back and forth until he finally goes and embraces Alba which to be fair her reaction is definitely spot on to the point where it's like immediately like crosses him like smacks him across the face and it's like what the hell are you doing but then you realize that everybody inside of the Seisho um, fans were like, almost everybody was crying except Alba because Alba was just like, man, I there was a time for me to cry and I think I missed it. And so I think I'll just hold that in. And so after looking into Ko's eyes and realizing, oh my God, you actually did it. And we, ha we have the opportunity, we're going to the Koshi and she finally, like for the first time since her sister died, for the first time she breaks down in tears. But in this case, it's not tears of pain and sorrow and loss. For the first time in the show, you see her cry tears of joy. And so at least looking back on it from that perspective, I definitely think I should cut that embrace a lot a lot more slack. I would say considering it was a confession between the two of them that had no inklings of any sort of romantic wording or implication to the common passerby, but when you realize that not only did they do this in front of the entire student body, and they didn't sit, and it wasn't like a standard, oh, I love you, hey, I love you too, and it's like, I hate you, I hate you more than anybody else in this world, and so she cries in his arms, and literally everybody else in the crowd is just slack-jawed in awe, and they're like, oh, oh, it's over, isn't it? <laughs> because Ko had so many gals inside the student body that like were totally crushing on him and wanted to go and Alba was very consistently being doted on and hit on throughout many members of the show and also like the only person that she ever considered outside of Ko is Azuma but in that entire moment everybody just put two and two together except for Sand, Sudo, Sokka, Senda, sorry <laughs> I just had to I just had to pull that one joke and yeah no it was in Heinz in the moment it didn't seem like a good enough payoff for the entire 50 episode run where you felt like you knew it was going to happen. But in hindsight, 
the more you look at it, the more you process. I, I just think that it is one of the better, you know, relegated and settled up confessions for like a romance show. So I definitely appreciate that that ended up happening. And towards the end of the day, everybody in the show was happy. We didn't officially get Ko's 160 kilometer pitch. We didn't officially get to see anybody in the crew at the Koshian, but considering that the final shot of this show is seeing both Ko and Alba holding hands before getting on the train going to the Koshian, more than enough of a satisfying end for me, and definitely a good send-off for a show that had been a long time coming, for sure. Eight years has this show been sitting on my backlog, and it was just, considering it wasn't, I would imagine... If I watched it eight years ago, it would probably be up there in, like, my top ten, but very quickly pushed off out of, like, the vast magnitude of shows that I was watching back in 2013-2014. But looking at it now, I would say it's a really good recommendation, not only as a baseball show, but uh, actually no more of a baseball show. Because it's... It, it all depends. Because do you want a baseball drama, do you want a straight-up sports show, or do you want a sports romance? So, easily, this is... I'm trying to think if it is the best sports romance show that I've ever seen. I would have to I would have to get back to you on that, but for now I can definitely say that whatever praise that anybody has been telling you about this show, it definitely deserves it and I would definitely give it a hard recommend for anybody who has stuck around long enough even though you've already, you know, heard the majority of the things that I've been able to say and spoiled for the rest of it. But if you still want the opportunity to go through and watch through a lot of the baseball tournaments and you still have a couple of baseball pieces on your backlog that you want to watch, I'll definitely recommend putting that onto the list as well. So cheers, thanks for sticking around, and have a good one. So I